All right, that was prayer time. I want to start preaching now. And just so you know, this is, this is Darcy's music notes. That's not going to make for a very good sermon. Um, so I guess I'll start with a story. This is the story of the life-saving station. So once upon a time, there was a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, and there was one crude, tiny little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one small boat. But the devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for their own safety, they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of the people were saved. And various others in the surrounding community wanted to become associated with the life-saving station and to give their time and money and effort to support this work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Well, some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so small and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable space should be provided for those who were being saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely. It became sort of a club. Fewer members were interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professionals to take care of that. The life-saving motif still prevailed. In fact, a ceremonial lifeboat was placed in the middle of the room in honor of all of those who had been saved in the past. About that time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and drowned people. And they were dirty and sick, and some of them were from a foreign country and couldn't speak the language. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee of the life-saving station called an emergency meeting and decided to build a shower house outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up and properly introduced to the rules of the life-saving station. Well, at the next meeting, there was a split in the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and they hindered the normal social life of the club. Few other members insisted that life-saving was the primary mission of the life-saving station, but they were outvoted and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could go start a new life-saving station somewhere else. And they did. As the years went by, the new life-saving station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that sea coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along its shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. So what went wrong with the life-saving station? The people of the life-saving station got caught up. They got caught up in a number of different things, and they lost focus. They got caught up in their preferences and their desire for things to be nice. There's nothing wrong with things being nice, but they lost their focus. It stopped being about saving people who were drowning, and it started being about comfort. 
We all have our preferences. I have mine. You have yours. And you know who's right? Both of us. Both of us and sometimes neither of us. Because when we get caught up in our preferences, it's easy for us to lose focus. When we get caught up in our preferences, it's easy for us to miss something. We miss the fact that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. More than buildings, more than attendance, more than tithing, more than activities, more than amenities, more than my preferences or yours, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. If we don't have that, if we don't have faith expressing itself in love, we've got a life-saving station club. Doesn't matter if there's 100,000 in the bank or 200,000 or a million. Without faith expressing itself in love, we don't have anything worth having. And these aren't my words, by the way. This isn't my opinion. This comes directly from the Bible. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. There's no, it doesn't matter what your preference is. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Paul says, faith working through love. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. In his letter, James, the brother of Jesus, gives us a great example of what that looks like. He writes this. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. First four words of that verse are pure and undefiled religion. I'm going to submit to you this morning that pure and undefiled religion is just a synonym for faith expressing itself in love. So how does James describe this pure and undefiled religion? He says, visit orphans, visit widows in their distress, and keep yourself unstained from the world. And that's a good framework, but we've got to be careful here. Because if we look at that verse, we could say, okay, I've got to do three things. I've got to visit widows, I've got to visit orphans, I've got to not sin. Should we do all those things? Should we visit widows? <laughs> Very good. Should we visit orphans? Yeah. Should we not sin? I was looking for a little bit more. Should we not sin? Thank you. Okay, very good. We should do those things, but the danger is to make that the singular focus of Christianity. We can't say Christianity is visit widows, visit orphans, don't sin. I think John Calvin describes this verse very clearly when he says this. He says, he, James, does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without these things is worth nothing. We have to remember that this passage is not a complete definition of Christianity. Instead, the widow and orphan are symbolic of those who find themselves helpless in our world. Christians whose religion is pure, Christians who wear the coat well, Christians whose religion is pure will imitate their father by intervening in the lives of those who are helpless. So let me just give you a few examples of those who we might help. Those who suffer from hunger and thirst in the third world. 
those who are impoverished in the inner city, the unemployed and the penniless, the underrepresented in matters of law, the hopeless, the lonely, the sick, the one who doesn't know Christ, the migrant, the immigrant. These are the people who should see abundant evidence of the Christian's pure religion. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. On paper, it seems pretty easy, right? It seems pretty easy. Why doesn't it happen anymore? Why do so many churches end up like life-saving stations? James lays out three reasons in the text I want to go over today as to why faith expressing itself in love is often lost. So uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, or I'll have it up here on the screen for you. Uh, But we're going to start reading in verse 19. James says this, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. So, what prevents us from living out a vibrant faith where we express it in love? What prevents us from being people who express their faith in love? What causes us, what causes churches all over the world to become life-saving stations? Paul gives us three ideas. I'm going to summarize them and then we'll go through each one. Paul says the things that make churches turn into life-saving stations is unchecked reactions, unchanged hearts, and unchanneled lives. I want to talk about those in some more detail. First of all, unchecked reactions keep us from expressing our faith and love. James says it this way. You know this, my beloved brethren. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Let me just summarize those verses just a little bit. When we react angrily, we don't allow for the righteousness of God. When we react in anger, we leave no room for the righteousness of God. So let's start at the beginning when it comes to reactions. Everybody wants to be heard, right? Everybody wants to be heard. Raise your hand if you like being heard in a conversation. Very good. Everybody raised your hand. If not, you're not listening, and I'm judging you severely right now. Everybody wants to be heard. Even if you're not the type of person who likes to speak, everybody wants to be heard. And that's one of the the biggest draws that we have when it comes to social media. We can go online and say whatever we want. 
We can write an open letter about anything. We can rant about any person. We can rant about people who stay in the left lane. We can even say mean things about people who are mean people. What we end up doing is this. We end up saying permanent words in reaction to temporary hurts. You see that difference there? We end up saying permanent words in response to temporary hurts. I was listening to a sermon a couple years ago, and I heard something that just floored me. I, I know that you don't always remember everything that I say when I preach. In fact, you probably don't remember most of the things that I say when I preach. And so the fact that I remember something that I heard in a sermon a few years ago uh, is just really incredible to me that uh, this was said. And the, the preacher said this. He says, it's easy to act like a Christian. It's awful hard to react like a Christian. Does that feel true to anybody else? It's easy to act like a Christian, but how do we react like a Christian when the rubber meets the road, when we're angry about something? How do we ensure that we react like a Christian? James says that we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Everybody must be heard. We understand that innately, but the Bible points this out to us. The people who are worth hearing listen the best. People who are worth hearing listen the best. What happens if we reverse those two? What happens if we're slow to listen and quick to speak? James says you're going to get angry. James says you're going to get angry and you're going to get angry quick. That's a big problem. Because verse 20 tells us that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It's striking to me. So first of all, I want to I meet you at your objection. Uh, you're going to say, well, well, wait a minute. Sometimes anger is a good thing, right? Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry with the religious leaders all the time. Didn't he cleanse the temple? He made a whip and started swinging it around at people. Jesus got angry. So what are you saying, Tony? Well, you're right. Jesus did get angry. But that's not what James is talking about here. James is talking about the anger of man. James is talking about being angry because our preferences and opinions aren't held by those around us. James says if you're going to get angry, get angry about the things that make God angry. What was Jesus angry about as he cleansed the temple? Let me just put it this way. Jesus was angry because the religious leaders were turning it into a life-saving station. And he said, that's not going to happen in my father's house. If you're going to get angry, get angry about the things that God gets angry about. James here, he's talking about the daily grind. When you get mad at the people at the store, the people in the left lane, the people who stay stopped when the light turns green, the people who seem to know everything and listen to nothing, don't let your first reaction be anger. Maybe it's irritation. I struggle with people who sit at green lights. I really do. I confess that to you this morning. I, I feel my burden lightened. Right? I, I struggle with people who have 34 items and the 10 item or less lane. I judge them, okay? I'm really bothered by that, okay? I, I struggle with many, many things. But don't let your first reaction be anger because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I just want to give you a takeaway here. 
And just to take away, and this is going to be something you'll have to wrestle with more uh, as we go into the new year. I think this is a good foundation. Don't fall prey to surface reactions. Don't fall prey to surface reactions. Right? Give yourself some time to think about it. Sometimes the first things that come to our lips are not the right things. And in the moment, they may feel good. It may feel good to jab somebody verbally. What we usually find is that very quickly, that gratification turns into guilt. So don't fall prey to surface reactions. Don't let your frustration be the thing that escapes your lips. Don't let your irritation mar your face. Don't let your anger be the thing you're remembered for. Because ultimately, ultimately, it doesn't matter if the person in the 10 item or less lane has 34 things. It doesn't matter if you have to sit through another light because that person was sending a text message. Is it irritating? Sure. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. You know what does matter? Faith expressing itself in love. So unchecked reactions inhibit us from expressing our faith and love. So do unchanged hearts. Unchanged hearts. Let me, let me go back to the text. Verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of a person he was. But when one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Here's what James is saying. You know, every word in the Bible. But if the words of the Bible aren't evident in your life, so what? This is what Jeff was saying. You know, every word in the Bible, but if you don't wear his coat well, so what? So what? The Bible is God's guide for radically changing the state of our soul. The Bible is God's guide for radically changing the state of our soul. Why would we think then that the Bible wouldn't change our lives also? We know that we need soul change. We know that our souls need changing. We know that we have no defense when it comes to righteousness and it's easy for us to say, God, how I need you. We know we need soul change. It's just a lot of times we're not all that convinced that we need life change. We just want to put Jesus into the framework of the life that we already live. James says when we live that way, we deceive ourselves. Douglas Moo describes it this way. He says, the Christian cannot be allowed to think he is done with the word after it has saved him. The word becomes a permanent and inseparable part of the Christian, a commanding and guiding presence within him. In other words, the Bible has to hit us at the willpower level. It has to hit us at the life level. It has to change us, and mold us, and transform us. That's what Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, don't be conformed by the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Where does the renewing of our mind happen? As we spend time in the world. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, says this. He says, how tragic that we think in this dark day, that we in this dark day have had our seeking done by others. Everything is made to center upon the initial response to receive Jesus, and we are at no point expected to crave any further revelation of God with our souls. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing we said last week. That Christianity isn't a momentary event, it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. It's striking to me that A.W. Tozer and Douglas Moo are writing 70 years apart and that theologians throughout church history have said similar things. Why do they feel compelled to write these words? It's because James said, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So in what ways are we deceived if we only hear the word? In what ways are we deceived if the only thing we do is hear the Bible? The answer is this. The gospel contains both saving power and a summons to obedience. It calls us. It calls us to Jesus. And then it calls us to be changed. So the first, the saving power saves us from God's wrath. It's an instantaneous event. The Bible tells us that occurs in baptism. The second half of the gospel calls us to obedience for the purpose of making us pure. This is a lifelong process that occurs in the life of the Christian. It happens through the working of the Holy Spirit as we continue to practice what God is calling us to. So when we allow ourselves to go through life without changing our hearts, we end up as a member of a life-saving station. God doesn't want life-saving stations. Instead, he wants people who express their faith in love. The final thing that James says is going to keep us from expressing our faith in love is an unchanneled life. Verse 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The challenge here is simple. Make your priorities the priorities of God. Make your priorities the priorities of God. Don't lose focus. It's easy. It's so easy to get caught up in things that don't matter. So resist the temptation and focus on the things that God focuses on. Here's what God focuses on. Purity. Helping the helpless. Purity and helping the helpless. Let's start with purity. Our purity is vital. Are we going to be perfect? No. No. None of us are going to be perfect. That's why we need Jesus. That's why our own righteousness isn't a worthwhile defense. We're not going to be perfect, but let's at least not be okay with sin and declare war on it in our lives. Our purity is vital. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, Christians can never sin cheaply. They pay a heavy price for iniquity. Transgression destroys peace of mind, obscures fellowship with Jesus, hinders prayer. It brings darkness over the soul. Therefore, be not the serf and bondman of sin. When we sin, it affects us. 
And it affects us profoundly, whether or not we allow ourselves to believe that or not. You've probably experienced it before. You tell a lie. You tell a lie about something, and all of a sudden you've got to start keeping people at arm's length so that way they don't find out the truth. Or maybe you look at pornography, and the last thing you're thinking about is your relationship with Jesus. And how many of us, after a fit of anger, feel like we can pray honestly? Maybe you struggle with one sin in particular more than others. And then it happens, and you just feel this cloud of gloom descend on you. And you just can't seem to shake it. Here's what I'm driving at. When our purity is compromised, when our purity is compromised, so is our ability to express our faith and love. That's why God cares about my purity and your purity. He also cares about hurting people. Again, widows and orphans are just symbolic for the hopeless and helpless in our world. Those who suffer from hunger and thirst in third world countries, the impoverished in the inner city, the unemployed, the penniless, the underrepresented in matters of law, the hopeless, the lonely, the sick, the one who doesn't know Christ, the immigrant, the migrant. God cares about all of them. Are you ready for some of that evidence that God cares about people who are helpless? There it is right there. I can say a lot of words, but the fact of the matter is that actions speak louder than words, and those actions speak. God cares about the helpless. I happen to know that because I was helpless. I am one who has only one defense. My righteousness is filthy rags. But my one defense is the righteousness that God has given to me through Jesus Christ. God cares about people. He cares about you. He cares about me. Never forget that you were helpless. Never forget that your one defense is Jesus' righteousness. And let that empower you to express your faith and love. So today... So today, church, we remember that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to minister to this world. We remember that he gave the example of faith expressing itself in love. And now, church, it is our responsibility to continue that work. As we begin to think about a new year, I just want to remind you that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And I want to invite you to participate in that work. Let's pray.